How you been feeling, though? Uh, like I got cancer in a major organ. Hey there, Mildred. There will be no more cunts in this house. You got that, mister? What, are you moving out? And why don't you tell those good friends of Bill Willoughby to tell him to go do his fucking job, fat boy? Welcome. Have a seat. What is it I can do for you today? Dream with the feathers of angels stuck beneath your head. To the Every Movie Ever podcast. The following episode contains spoilers. Mama, mama, mama is against spoilers. God damn it! Hey, you started this, man. I didn't do shit to you. Am I going to do the intro mm-hmm. and you do the rolling, rolling, rolling? No. Choke. Again. No, no. Okay, good, because it never makes it to an episode. <laughs> no, I know. But it happens every episode. Yeah, it and does. it gets to a point where it's like, if it doesn't happen, I think there's something wrong. Yeah. Like I've upset you or I owe you money or <laughs> okay. like there's something Well, now on. I have to and do it. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to the every... Oh, you're a cunt, you threw me. All right. (laughs) Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Every Movie Ever podcast. My name is Ben Groves. Um, My name is Rob McFarlane. Uh, I normally ask... You are an ill boy. I'm an ill boy. I normally ask you how you're doing, but uh, fuck you, I'm I'm going first. Um, Yeah. uh, We were going to record this episode yesterday. We watched it uh, around about the same time as one another. Mm -hmm. Um, I watched this film probably three times a year ben watched it for the second twice time, twice and it was the second time that you watched it. second time last night we were sort of doing it together and we, we were just about to finish uh watching and get rolling we were jacked jacked i was literally nursing a semi for about an hour after watching this yeah. film by the way and then life happened i got very ill ben had some relatively uh traumatic experiences going on in his personal life mm-hmm. potentially traumatic uh fortunately it all turned out all right but in the interim, very fortunately, uh, we all got cunt punted by life. Um, <laughs> really fucking did, man. Just I came out of nowhere yeah. as well. And it's that horrible, unfair, unreasonable, unresenting life. And now we're fucked. Uh, we still have to do the episode. Um, do you know what though? Right, we can we can look at it as a bad experience, and we can take it as the negative that it, that it that it is, or that it is that it is. Yes. See. Now we're clicking. Now we're having fun. Now we're having fun. Life happened, Mm. but listen, we can always find the word tit in other words. There we go. That brings a smile to both of our faces. See, now we're cooking with peanut oil. (laughs) So, um, yeah, how you doing, Ben? (laughs) I'm so ill. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, buddy, I just want to give you a cup of tea and a blanket, man. Honestly, I do. I'm fucking exhausted. I literally, I did a 20, 22, mm. 23 hour day yesterday. And at 34, right, I, it's been a really, it's been a really long time since I've done an all nighter. Yeah. yeah. And going to sleep at like six, seven o'clock this morning mm. and then waking up at 11 in a blind panic being sort of like, <laughs> where am I? What fucking year is it? And why is there snow outside my window? Yeah. Um, it was a bit much. Yeah. But I've just necked a really hot coffee. My throat feels really weird. And I'm ready to do this fucking episode. What what movie are we doing, Rob? We are doing the third in our Martin McDonough series. Martin McDonough being possibly, I think, the best writer of his generation. Although there is there is competition. We'll get to that next year. Yeah. Um, Martin McDonough is an incredible writer. We've done In Bruges. We've done Seven Psychopaths. And we now come to three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. 
which is uh, involves the true story of a woman who uh, is unhappy with the police investigation into her daughter's murder and yep. so hired three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri, stating, raped while dying and still no arrests. How come, Chief Willoughby? And it's about mm-hmm. the residents of this small town as they sort of reel from this mother's anger at the police. Uh, the police chief, played by Woody Harrelson, is dying of cancer. His young sheriff, his young sort of uh, deputy, played by Sam Rockwell, is an is a unpopular oh, racist. Sam Rockwell. Um, and Francis <sighs> McDormand goes around just being an absolute powerhouse of, of bereaved rage. Um, in this small community, how how do, well, let's get into it. Let's get into it. Okay, let's get into it. First off, mm-hmm. fuck you, Martin McDonough. <laughs> also, thank you, Martin McDonough. <laughs> Secondly, fuck you, Sam Rockwell. <laughs> also, thank you, Sam Rockwell. Mm-hmm. Thirdly, fuck you, Woody Harrelson. <laughs> also, thank you, Woody Harrelson. Uh huh. And finally, uh-huh. not to be labelled a sexist as you called me many times today because <laughs> I leave Francis McDormand until last. Fuck you, Francis McDormand. <laughs> also, thank you, Francis McDormand. And the reason I leave her last is because she is the fucking tour de force of this film. And I, de- I feel like she deserves the headliner in mm-hmm. this fuck you festival. Okay, fine. I just, I like the fact that you went, I'm not a sexist. And furthermore, <laughs> fuck you, Francis McDormand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't know that. I honestly, I didn't think that that was going to sound great. Um, it still came out of my mouth. Yeah. And it was nice to be right yeah. about something. You know what I mean? It's always nice to be, to be correct about stuff. But I'm going to stand by this. It's my little fuck you festival. Mm-hmm. Because <laughs> Martin McDonough mm-hmm. has no right making no. me feel the way that I felt in this film. Mm. Um openly weeping over uh, yep. uh, an intense an intense scene with like a lot of fucking emotional tension and pulling on the heartstrings yep. whilst still in that moment Mildred then cunt punts two children <laughs> which is the what it cunt punting kids will never not be funny you that know what is, i mean that's all, that's a guaranteed laugh it, i think it's one of the original jokes you know you know when they talk yeah. about like the mono oh, like, <laughs> right? like cavemen were just sort of like yeah, bumping yeah. each other's shoulders, being like, huh. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Punt, punt. Yeah, yeah, exactly <laughs> that. Exactly that. <laughs> and then that was yeah, it. Yeah, that yeah. was communication. It goes down to our reptile brain. I think cavemen is, is quite yeah. late in the development of that joke. I think yeah, there were monkeys were going like, around kicking. That's when they perfected it. You know exactly, what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, th- I think back in sort of primordial era, you monamoeba sort of punted another one in <laughs> another one. <laughs> <laughs> do you think that's how they split into two and then they start reproducing it's like oh shit that's how life was made cunt punts is where we come from man. science see it's not just yeah. about films and fuck yous science probably <laughs> you're right you're right fuck them but fuck them b- but but they're incredible i i, I don't fully understand emotions i don't get them no. you know what i mean no, like no, they're no. confusing my own emotions confuse the shit out of me most of the time because it's it's like I get them feeling stuff, and mm-hmm. I get it's like why, yeah. But it's it's sort of the relatability to it. I don't know. It's being on the spectrum, all right. Yeah, yeah. I find yeah. it difficult. Martin McDonough. The first time I watched through this movie, mm. I was like, oh, so the story is yeah, yeah. murdered child, town reeling from the grief. How are they going to deal with it? You thought the instigating incident was the murder. 
I thought the overall story was about solving solving this murder. the murder, yeah, or at least getting somewhere with it was the film, yeah. And then the film ended, and I was like, "What in the fuck did I just watch?" Yeah, because spoil- <laughs> we we warned you on spoilers on this show, and this film yeah. this film has been out for a long time. The murder does not get solved at the end. No, the murder is like it is the main storyline. But it is maybe 7% of the film. But here's the thing. I, the reason I think the murder isn't the instigating incident is because it's happened and it can't ever unhappen. And solving it or not is not yep. going to change Frances McDormand's life in this film. She thinks it will. Okay. But fundamentally, whether the, whether the, whether the murder gets solved or not, they can yep. catch the killer and she would, without the events of this film happening as they happen, yep. say they found the killer, she mm-hmm. would never grow or move on from that murder it would no 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 of course not she would just be stuck as the woman she is in act one of this film yeah and i think the the instigating incident of the film is and i understand that this is difficult for you because it's the title of the movie but that's what the film's about the three billboards <laughs> outside Ebbing, Missouri. <laughs> still i think it's a it's a, it's a long reach uh, are what the film is about <laughs> and so right and so just be more specific you know what i mean just get straight to the point don't beat around the bush with all this fluffy nonsense because i'm just not gonna get it <laughs> all right let, 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 let me rephrase let me rephrase yeah yeah the drive the overarching like driving force yeah. behind the movie that, that pushes everyone into what the movie is about because mm-hmm. i'm told apparently it's about three billboards <laughs> it is yeah. somewhere in missouri or yeah. whatever the fuck it's called i'm joking so the overarching story is is the the murder the overarching like driving force, mm-hmm. and that's needed to push everyone into their current positions to yeah to live out the story of the movie. Right, I didn't get that going into the movie the first yeah. time. So the first time I watched this, I watched this as a movie of people trying to solve the case, and uh, it, it, there was times yeah. where I was like, right, so she's pushing the police to do mm-hmm. their job. They're pushing back because they're at a they're at a dead end. Yeah, and they're obviously like not feeling great about it, but they also have a fucking town to look after. <laughs> yeah. They've got a, a mental, semi quasi racist torturing, <laughs> absolutely, but as they call him, <laughs> neighbor torturing. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. How's, yeah. How's life in the neighbor torturing business? It's pastors yeah. of color torturing business. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So he, I mean, he's he's moral, I guess. Like he, I, I could write, I could write a book about Dixon as a character. Same. I think he is incredible. But, but same. It's yeah. So you you took it as so, the the war between Mildred and the police department and that's exactly what I saw that's exactly what I was thinking I was getting into and and from act one right you can kind of get that and Mm -hmm. it kind of sets you up for that yep if you're not paying attention (laughs) yeah (laughs) and then the movie ended and I was like everything is left open yep they're no closer to solving anything Peter Dinklage got one date Dinklage got one date and to hold a ladder and then disappeared. So I was fuming about that because yeah. I was literally just sort of like, well, what the fuck was it? Yeah. What but was I he there for? It. Yeah. 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 I, I mean, I know it, when I first watched this, I was like, okay, so Mark McDonough has like a little mm-hmm. person obsession. That's why <laughs> Dinklage was there. God, you're so right. Because in every one of his movies, so there's right. like a whole fucking focal point on it. And every single one of his movies mm-hmm. so far, all three every single one i made it out like there's 40 i think martin mcdonough the reason he adds a little person to every mm-hmm. single film do you remember in bruges right yeah where colin farrell uh, character is, yeah, yeah, is yeah. really concerned about the welfare <laughs> of the little person that he meets do you think that that's i just... think i think that was martin mcdonough at one point right and i think in his head he's like there's just no roles for these fuckers i've got to go out there and write some films that include them because realistically it doesn't change 
anything about my story if they're a little person or not. Mm. But it does mean a job for somebody in that community that isn't fucking Snow White. So yeah. I'm just going to do it because he was the Colin Farron character just obsessed about little person Statistics welfare. Statistics of like yeah. the, the suicide <laughs> yeah. rates of little people. He was incredibly sweet, bless him. Um, I, I, see, I see why you wouldn't enjoy it the first time. And I think that's the yes. reason this is my favorite Martin McDonough film because In Bruges is a small film mm-hmm. uh, about two... It's got two main characters in a tiny place that they've never been before. Mm-hmm. interacting primarily with each other. And then in Act 3, you introduce a third character. Seven psychopaths, three protagonists, one antagonist. It sort of grows a bit, and you've got the seven psychopath uh, B like subplots. This is Martin McDonough writing about an entire town. And therefore, because he's writing so many people, the points that he makes are so have to be so true yeah. to what it is to be any person because he's not writing about two hitmen yeah, yeah he's not writing about a writer and writing no. a film he's writing about a town full of people mm-hmm. and so the only truths that he can have this film wrap up with are ones that will apply to you no matter what and it's not a film based around plot it's not a film based around effects it's not a film based around what happens it's an entirely character focused film in which 100%. basically the act the act one scene one is like McDonough's got all these fucking tennis ball cannons and he point he just fucking measures the angle of each one right and then when the film starts he hits the button they all fire yeah and everything that happens to that character has already been decided by physics it's only when they bounce off each other that they change trajectory ooh that was a great analogy. That had, <laughs> that had everything that I like. It had angles. It had physics. Science. We've discussed that this show is primarily about science now. <laughs> Tennis balls. They're always fun. Right? That's a great analogy, man. Thank you. Thank you. And put it on the fridge. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think, all right, so you look at Dixon. Uh, I remember when you watched it the first time, you were like, Dixon's just a small-minded little racist like who gives I didn't a fuck re- about I him. didn't fully get it because I thought that it was too late in the movie for him to be bothered by doing his job after yeah. he loses his job and I was like I don't fucking see the point but that's because I wasn't paying attention to the relationship mm. of every single fucking person around him <laughs> because the spider's web yeah, dude this fucking movie is like honestly this movie is <laughs> like a fucking exam this is why i watch b movies <laughs> that you are right it's a spider's web mm. but it's not just a spider's web it's an incredibly delicate spider's web in, in like a fucking morning mist there's like a few mm-hmm. there's like a few beads of moisture on, yeah, on yeah, yeah. The, that's all you see the rest of it is so fucking like minute mm-hmm. and pinpoint focused yeah I wasn't paying attention to the fact of him losing his dad, having to look after his mom. Mm-hmm. His racist sort of small-mindedness comes from his mom, who acts as like a devil on his one shoulder. Yeah. He gets all of his good principles and his, his wanting to do better, hence the job as a policeman, hence mm-hmm. fucking always craving Chief Willoughby's approval and yeah. sort of any totally. decision that he makes, he runs it past Willoughby as if to be sort of like, right, that's, that's mm-hmm. it, right? Like, yeah. that's how I say this, right? Because even when... 
Um, Mildred says, oh, you're in the neighbor torturing business. And he's like, that's the persons of color torturing business. <laughs> and he makes sure that he's yeah. worded it right with yeah, Willoughby. Yeah. And it's the fucking sweetest thing ever. Because that, that's if that's right. That's, you, that's, that's how, how you say this, right? say it. That's how you told me. Exactly. But yeah. Willoughby's his angel on his shoulder, right? And mm-hmm. his mom is the devil on his other shoulder. And he's caught between this battle of not knowing truly what mm-hmm. is right or wrong because he has mm-hmm. such powerful influences on both sides yeah. and i missed that wildly the first time through because i was just sort of like do your fucking job yeah stop yeah, yeah, beating up yeah, people yeah. in prison cells yeah, yeah, yeah. And just fucking do your job but I, th- I so i remember i remember i remember saying like i don't think dixon is a, a malicious racist he's not he's, de- he's undoubtedly racist he is racist but his racism comes from a lack of experience with anyone who isn't white yes his mother who he's been raised with and therefore that's how he just sees the world being normal yeah, and I think his mo- his mother is one of the keys to what this movie is really about, right? Which is change. She change, and she and people looking at the past and what they had, mm-hmm. people grieving what they no longer have. There's a line where he says, right. "Things ain't like that in the South anymore, Mama," and she goes, mm-hmm. "Well, they should be." And yeah. so she's stuck. It. It's never going to be like that again. But she's not moving forward. Mildred is not moving forward from the death of her child, as realistically, I don't think anyone truly can. Yeah. And I think the the complete lack of fucks that she's... The worst thing has already happened, right? 100%. It can't get worse in her mind yeah. than it already mm-hmm. has. Yeah. And so there is no cost to putting up three billboards to fucking poke the bear. Of course. And and the other thing is that it's it's an active thing that she can do that makes it feel like she's doing something because when Chief Willoughby kills himself, uh, hashtag spoiler, in the middle of the day, hashtag you're going to cry. Yeah. His widow comes comes by and she goes, um, uh, no, I'm not upset with you. I'm just upset. It's, it's difficult to know what to do. The day that your husband kills himself, kills himself. It's difficult to know how to fill the time. Mm -hmm. And that's what Mildred's just doing. She's just filling time. And that's why I say without the billboards and the incredible backlash that it causes among the town, she would just be stuck filling time. It's one of those moments where you talking about it like that, like Mama Dixon, who, by the way, is Sandy Martin, Mm. also from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Yes. She plays Max Mother, who, again, incredible, Mm -hmm. incredible character. Um, It's easier to sit in your sorrows and your woe pouting about how the past was and how Mm -hmm. good you had it and how that is how it should be it's way easier to sit and do that than to actively change Mm -hmm. and actively try and develop yourself in a way that means you still you can still have access (laughs) to this entire fucking world that's evolving around you you just have to put in the effort to evolve with it which is great because uh, Mildred is desperate to do that. Yeah. In a but direction also, that is physically impossible yeah. without the help of everyone else mm. and just the most the most amount of luck of all the circumstances mm-hmm. falling yeah. into place. There's no DNA matches no. ever. Mm-mm. There's no DNA matches to any crime in the continental United States. <laughs> yeah. So they're like, we're fucked. Yeah. We need, we, we, we are like, we've There's done nothing we can do. We can do. There's nothing we can do, but Mildred facing that brick wall of of like impasse, not being able to move forward, yeah. d- 
doesn't find that acceptable. Yeah. So instead of everyone being stood at the same wall, not being able to move forward, she looks sideways and goes, I can just fucking poke these guys until they yeah. either, until we either form a human pyramid and get over this fucking wall or we like, we force something into place. I will, pi- I will pick up this, this, this man who is dying of cancer and yep. use his life as a battering ram to get through this wall. Yeah. And I don't care if it doesn't work. 100%. I'll just move on to the next person. And as a as a depiction of genuine grief, mm-hmm. it's incredible because she's not a nice person. She's not. She's sympathetic, but she's mean, and she's selfish, and she's callous, and she's all the things that real grieving people are. A hundred percent. I don't think that doesn't make her not a nice person, though. No, no, no. She uh, so so early on when she she hires the billboards, you know, there's a little beetle on its back, and she exactly she flips it over. McDonough makes sure to give you enough to know that she is a nice person deep down but she doesn't necessarily yeah she doesn't necessarily have the capacity to be anymore yeah exactly dude i fucking look god damn it this (laughs) this could turn into like essays though you know what i mean because i could literally write a fucking i could write an essay on dixon oh yeah how much i fucking love that guy because he's you see my 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 central thesis of dixon is Mm -hmm. that dixon is above all things a believer in right and wrong. And he okay. may be confused about what is right and what is wrong, but if he thinks it's right, he will get it done. And if he thinks okay. it's wrong, he will stop anyone else from doing it. So mm-hmm. I have no doubt that he tortured a black guy in a prison cell. <laughs> 100%. I also have no doubt that he did it because he thought it was the right thing to do. Because he was led astray. To be, to be, yep, by his mum. And because well, I mean, he, we can't say well, who, because, yeah. no, we, and it's before the film. But you can make that assumption, though. Yes, yeah. And it might we don't know that we don't know the context of what he thought that guy had done, and exactly. this, that, or the other. He, if we're not justifying it, by the way. No, 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 no. no this no. isn't a justification of like, yeah, that seems fine. That should, that's definitely the way it should be. He done. did an awful, reprehensible thing, but he would only have done it because he would have thought it was the right thing to do. And the, the illustration of yeah. that is when Willoughby he kills himself. And he looks across the street to see Red Welby, who's the guy who owns the billboards and has rented them to the grieving mum, Mildred. He yeah. sees him, puts his headphones on, put his hat on, put his badge on, gets his shit all together. And then in this incredibly effective single shot, you get to see him walk out of the station, across the street, and just mm-hmm. calmly, matter-of-factly, do what he knows needs to get done, which is exact justice for this un- this terrible thing that has happened. In his head, yeah. the man he loves most in the world, his surrogate father figure, the only mm-hmm. man who can see the good in him, has been bullied to death by this advertising guy and this woman. Yeah. And so the right thing to do is go over there and beat the shit out of him. And he, he does yeah, it. Bully he, him to death. Yeah. He throws him out of a fucking window. <laughs> Dude, it's... It, honestly, like... Yeah. I love Dixon to pieces. This is one of the most brutal things... In the movie, uh, right? It's, it's insanely One violent. Of. It's yeah, it's insanely violent, and it's done from a place of nothing but pure love and grief. Again, angel mm. and devil on his shoulder. Yeah, he's just contradicted the entire movie mm-hmm. by no one but himself and yeah. his own thoughts yeah. and his own confusion. And it is just literally the most beautiful, infuriating, heartbreaking, mm. but ultimately heartwarming thing. Yeah, about this fucking human person that is just trying to do his best. Mm. And even after he loses his job and he realizes that his mama has been like mm. 
sort of he's there to look after his mom after yeah. his dad died because it's the right thing to do. Yeah. But his mom is leading him astray mm. with the torturing of the black <laughs> yeah, prisoner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And why don't you fuck her over through her friends? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fuck her over through her friends. Yeah, who yeah. you go for straight away? The fucking woman that she's mm-hmm. working with down at the shop. And again, who's also black? Who's also black? And yeah. then fucks her over by asking the judge not to grant bail yeah. because of two marijuana cigarettes and all this shit. So anyway. He sort of clicked on to all of this. And after the fact where he's like, okay, so being the way that I was as a police officer was horrendously wrong mm-hmm. because I wasn't doing my job. I was sitting around reading comic books and that was, you know, yeah. I thought that was an okay thing to do until I realized it wasn't. Listening to my mom mm-hmm. tell me this bullshit about black people. Yep. I thought that that was an okay thing to do and act on that shit. Now I know it's not. Yeah. So what does he do? Goes out of his way to be the best fucking police officer in the town. Even though he's no longer a police officer. <laughs> whilst not being a police officer anymore. Yeah. After Mildred fucking nearly burns him alive mm-hmm. and he risks his life to save the case file mm-hmm. of her daughter. Yep. He still goes out of his way. Mm. Knowing full well that she was the one that nearly burned him to death. <laughs> she still goes out of his way to help. Like yeah. being sort of like, I heard a dude in a bar describe something that that could have been your daughter yeah. so i scratched his face and he kicked the shit out of me but i got his dna <laughs> yeah, yeah. And i'm like yeah that bit where he comes back in his face it's, it's only just healed from recent third degree burns oh what is, did you describe it as to me fucking what was it thin rice paper skin yeah. and i was like oh my days <laughs> and he just he's just taken a beating on it so he oh. can get some dna to 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 help this woman who's burned him alive because it's yeah, the it's... right thing to do. He's a fantastically complex character, as is Mildred, as is Woody Harrelson. I love the the parallel between Mildred has her three billboards yeah. and they're about anger and resentment and death. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Woody Harrelson's character, Chief Willoughby, has his three letters that are about, so, so primarily the past and future. So Mildred is about the past. Yeah. You know, still no arrest. She was raped while dying. How come? This stuff happened in the past. Willoughby's first letter is to his wife. And it's not yeah. the one filled with the memories of their life. It's about what to do tomorrow. And that's important. He, the it letter is. that we, the audience here, isn't, here's what I loved about what we did in the past. It's Willoughby helping his wife through the next 12 hours following his suicide. He writes yeah. on the bag he puts on his head. Before he shoots himself, he said, don't look in the bag, just call the boys. Yeah. He's planned out, you know, this is how you get through the next. He's talking about the future, even after he's no longer a part of it. He's planting trees he'll never fucking sit under the shade of. Yeah. His other letter to Mildred is full of, like, levity and fun and, like, playfulness. He takes the piss. He takes yeah. the piss. He I know. like, one last big fucking <laughs> yeah, yeah. fuck you in the sweetest, funniest yeah, yeah. way possible. I'm desperately sorry I never found your daughter's killer. I've got yeah. to admit that the billboards were a fucking great idea. And I want you to know that they're nothing to do with my death. Mm-hmm. However, everyone's going to think that they are, which is why I've paid for the next month. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> everyone's going to think that they're the reason why I killed myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've paid rent for the next month. <laughs> Enjoy, Enjoy defending him. <laughs> <laughs> and then the sweetest one, which is the one he writes to Dixon. And what I find... Hold on a sec. Hold on a sec. The one that he writes to Dixon destroyed me on a level that I cannot fully comprehend. And I think it's because I love Dixon so much yeah. that to see him reading this note whilst the building around him is on fire. Yeah. Um it was it was too much. 
I was in bits at do you know, this moment. Do you know the bit so that, how deep are you going to go into this? The because... bit that got me is the fact that Dixon used small words in short sentences. With everyone oh, else. With his, yeah, yeah. With his wife, he's poetic. Yeah, he with, is. With, with uh, Mildred, he's playful and, you know, he sort of plays with concepts. Yeah. With Dixon, it's like, you need to drop the anger because I know you want to be a detective. And to yeah. detect, to be a detective, you have to detect things. And it's yeah. all short concepts that he knows Dixon will understand. So he's thought about Dixon's intelligence level when yeah. he's written what he wants to write to him. And Dixon sat there reading the sort of letter that a dad might write a child because Dixon is his surrogate child. And the visual metaphor of everything around Dixon being on fire, but he doesn't notice. You know, the meme of the dog being like, this is fine. That's yep. Dixon's life. Everything is on yep. fire. He's just been fired. He's literally just been fired and he's about to get set on fire. And it doesn't from matter. the place that he was fired, fired from. from. Yeah. And he's then reading this letter from his, inverted commas, father, who's taken the time to write him a letter in simple language. As an act of love. it's He talks about love a lot in the letter. Mm. That, it was the love part that got me where he's like, you need to find love because from love comes calm and from calm comes the comes ability to think. To the ability to yeah. think clearly. Mm. And then when he's, later when he's, <clears throat> later when he's in the bar mm. and he hears the guy behind him talking about how he raped a girl mm-hmm. whilst setting her on fire with gasoline, which is what happened to Mildred's mm-hmm. daughter. He doesn't, react even mm-hmm. though he's drunk he doesn't nope. react he doesn't go anything crazy he goes outside and he gets the car registration yeah of the dude who's yeah. saying the shit he goes slowly and he, and he thinks because mm-hmm. it's from a place of love mm-hmm. and the, the whole thing that sparks it is that fucking letter and from beyond the grave man. and the straw the straw oh my god that's <laughs> the, that's another bit that fucking broke me because man. he's just read this letter from Willoughby talking about love and then he gets hideously burned and he gets he's been wrapped up in bandages samurai cop style wheeled in (laughs) hold on (laughs) and then gets thank you because I was teetering on the edge then but you just samurai copped me straight out yeah yeah. that's lovely he gets wheeled into the the accident ward and gets put in the bed next to the man that he put there by throwing him out of a window who doesn't recognize him and goes hey man do you want something to drink? And all he can do is just go, I'm sorry, Red. I'm sorry. And Red has a fucking panic attack, realizing that he's now there with a guy that beat him mercilessly. And then you can't, it goes, switches to, to Dixon's vision. You can't really see. He's just he's fucking wrapped up in bandages. And you can hear a scattering about, and you're like, is this motherfucker going to come out with a samurai sword? <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm not, I am listening. And I'm not laughing at you. <laughs> you fucking you're a cunt for bringing up Samurai Cop man that caught me so off guard that's the funniest <laughs> reference to that moment in this film ever you get Samurai Cop fucking Samurai Cop mate well done <laughs> fucking Samurai Cop but whilst he's rootling around you can't see what Red Welby's doing you think he's like reaching for his Samurai sword or okay. whatever I'm gonna go a tiny one tiny detail further ooh Dixon reveals himself to Red to be Dixon. This is after Dixon has said, do you want some orange juice? I think I've got a straw somewhere. And then he's like, I'm really sorry. I, I fucked you up, man. I'm sorry I fucked you up. And he's like, Dixon? 
and Red is having a meltdown. Like, mm-hmm. he's freaking out. He's like, I've just been thrown out of a fucking window, yeah, knocked yeah. out in the middle of a street. Like, my entire life just got the shit kicked out of me. Yeah, yeah. In front of the whole town. Yeah. Yeah. And now this prick is in the same hospital room as me. Mm-hmm. And he's freaking out. And Dixon just stares at the wall and he can hear the rattling. And then it's when the glass lands and he turns around and he still gets in the fucking juice. So it's mm. like he wasn't, he was expecting the worst because that's what he's used to. And he was showed the polar opposite. Yeah. From the guy that he just fucking nearly murdered. Yeah. And it's, dude. And I think that it, moment's fucking mental, man. It's I just, it, <laughs> I think there are there are a couple of moments in this there's a couple of moments in this film that kind of highlight for me the difference in how we watch films and I think it I think it was fascinating that you watched it once and then watched it again and it was two separate films. There's a moment there's a moment where the deer comes up to to Francis McDormand's uh, Mildred. Yeah. And she goes, you're not trying to make me believe in re- reincarnation because you're pretty, but you're not her. Right. I remember you saying, yeah. I'm never going to, I'm never going to know what it's like to be a bereaved mother, but I can watch this film and I can at least learn something about what that must, some part of what that must encapsulate, some part of what that must, of what the experience of that must be like. Okay. As long as the characters are realistically written doesn't matter mm-hmm. how extraordinary the circumstances are it's a little bit like having a uh, having like an alternate timeline where i can go i've never been a racist cop in america but what must that be like i've never been a little person living in a small town but what must I that be you. like and so yeah, it's like yeah, yeah. A, a proxy experience generator which is why my characters always have to be regardless of the situation pure realism i, I can i can relate to that because i mean i, I there's some films that i've watched where i'm like I am never going to experience uh, my boyfriend passing away in front of my eyes. Yeah. Right? No. Like Tammy from Tammy and the T-Rex. But what I do, <laughs> what I did learn from that movie is that if I want to save my boyfriend who's, mm. who's died in front of me, I can put his brain into an animatronic T-Rex mm. and everything turns out hunky-dory. So, okay. I, okay. Now, I, 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 thought, I thought this might happen, so I came up with a backup plan. I came up with a backup plan. I'm joking. You are, you are aware that this is part of the MonsterVerse, right? Three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri is in the MonsterVerse. How? Well, we established already that Godzilla is a sequel to Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. That Leonardo grows up to be Godzilla. Sure. What does Dixon's mum have, if not tiny Leonardo... Before he's old enough to be a turtle. <laughs> oh, fuck off. <laughs> Why do you think Godzilla's got so much unresolved rage? <laughs> Why do you think Godzilla's got a problem <laughs> with Japan? <laughs> I both love all my days. <laughs> that took a fucking sharp left turn. Are you are you saying that that Godzilla's got a problem with Japan because he was raised born by and raised mom. in Ebbing, Missouri? <laughs> yes, and then he had a brief period where he had to fight a ninja by the name of Shredder in the sewers. In the sewers, and then so he's he... gone from eating strawberries in a racist household, <laughs> yeah. to living in the sewers and eating pizza, beating up ninjas, beating up ninjas. It was a it was a foregone conclusion that he was going to destroy Tokyo, man. Oh no, there goes Tokyo. Go go go. Mil- Mildred. <laughs> <laughs> speaking of Mildred, speaking of Mildred. Um, no- you loved Mildred. Mildred was your favourite character, right? Francis McDormand is an incredibly okay. 
normal looking person and because of the age she is and the talent she has she's one of the few actresses going that plays fascinating female roles that are far more reminiscent of the women you meet in real life Mm -hmm. i've never met a middle-aged woman who didn't have a fucking fascinating way of seeing the world 100 percent and if you watch films like Nomadland or this or Fargo, all this sort of stuff, mm-hmm. she has this innate ability and fucking maybe it's her agent or maybe it's just the way that she's that she's sort of allowed to be the radio head of middle aged women. She's the one that gets to do all the interesting <laughs> shit. <laughs> no, that is a great fucking way of putting right. it because she is the radio head of like. Yeah, yeah. Everyone would love women. everyone would love those roles, but people just don't see you in them. Do you know what I mean? Meryl, you get Meryl Streep and Frances McDormand. They get to play the interesting characters, and anyone else in that age bracket who's a woman, you're a you're a grandmother, a stepmom, mm-hmm. or a witch. <laughs> Those are your three <laughs> roles. <laughs> you just upset a whole a whole like host of people that have got their fingers crossed for a Hocus Pocus three. <laughs> Everyone is like waiting. You for just that got call. two. You just got the, the sequel, right? <laughs> you wait twenty years yeah. for a sequel. You can wait two for a, a threequel. I think Mark Francis McDormand is one of the finest actors we have working, and I think I, I, I agree. One of the reasons for that is that she's given roles with meat on them, and this role is. Fucking incredible. I think she's the emotional Ellen Ripley. I think if Frances McDormand had been cast as Ellen Ripley, the Xenomorph yep. Queen would have gone back to its home planet feeling bad about itself. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> I have thoughts on this. Ellen Ripley is a good example. Yeah. But Mildred is like Ellen Ripley yeah. 2.0. Right. Because I think she's allowed to be. Yes. Yes. In the depths of space... Yeah, where you have nowhere to escape to, like it is, you are literally floating in a vacuum of death. That's a scientific term, vacuum as we've mentioned. Death. Science yeah. podcast now. Dyson's Welcome. new model, right? <laughs> so you're in the vacuum of death. <laughs> like a- <laughs> it's I'm to just, just like, get that pesky of, pet hair out of my carpet. Of a spider just trapped in the bag, being like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, you could remake Ridley Scott's Alien with like a woodlouse. Trapped in a vacuum bag with a fuck-off wolf spider, and not much would have to change. I mean, would the Hoover be in space? No, the the vacuum... Well, it's the Location would probably change then, wouldn't it? Vacuum of space, mate, was the joke. Oh, I get it. Would there be in a tiny... Would the Woodlouse be in a tiny spaceship in the vacuum cleaner? Uh, Yes, it would. (laughs) Then I am fully on board. (laughs) There's a a full-size Coke can that you somehow managed to to suck up with your new... Who the fuck is vacuuming, cleaning, like, full-size Coke cans? James Dyson. (laughs) That man is... That's why he voted Brexit. (laughs) Yeah, fair. (laughs) The man's a loon. He's just vacuuming everything up. It's just mental. (laughs) So, Ellen Ripley. Yes. Vacuum of death. Mm -hmm. She has nowhere to go. Yep. The men around her are dicks, Mm -hmm. for, for lack of a better word. They're not listening to a fucking word she's saying. Even though she's right, mm-hmm. even though she's obviously the most intelligent person on board with the most level head being sort of like, hey, maybe we just do this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And if they just did it, roll the credits because the <laughs> yeah, fucking movie's yeah, yeah. safe. You know what I mean? But no. <laughs> Mildred has this society mm-hmm. where the bigger and the bolder and the more fuck you she is, yeah. the more respect she earns, mm-hmm. which I don't think was uh, was like a grace... Granted <laughs> to Ellen Ripley. Here's, here's, <laughs> I think here's, the more she pushed her point, everyone was like, shut the fuck up. I think stop Ripley, it. Ripley is like the inverse of a stereotype. Mildred just doesn't even reference that stereotype. 
And you're right, it's because she has the room to be. Um, I feel like Ripley, they were like, well, okay, she doesn't do that because that's what that's what sci-fi heroines always do. They always scream. They're always terrified. Blah, blah, blah. She's not going to yeah. be. She's not going to cry about the cat. She's not going to care about Newt dying, all this sort of stuff. I think she would have cried about the cat if she had the room for it. If they weren't in a fucking... Va- like, again, mm. if they weren't in the vacuum of space, if they weren't on this tiny little metal tin being hunted by a big mouth <laughs> that was inhabited by a slightly littler mouth, <laughs> then I think she probably would have been upset about the cat. <laughs> Are you saying <laughs> you know what I mean? that... that- that Mildred's daughter was killed by a xenomorph. I'm just saying that the there's no DNA match in the continental United States. Exactly. No one's checked space. <laughs> just saying. Just saying. What are you going to rate? Still out uh, there. What are you going to rate three billboards outside having? If you would have asked me this after my first watch, and I've not, if I hadn't watched this a second time, mm-hmm. it would have been like a fucking two. What? Because I was an idiot. Yeah, but I didn't pay attention. I I was focusing on the wrong part of the Mm. film, expecting that to be fulfilled and just Mm -hmm. kind of being like, oh, it's just emotional waffle, blah, blah. And then the film ended and I was like, what the fuck? So then I've gone back into it Mm -hmm. and I've treated it like an exam and I've sat my exam and I feel like I've aced it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a a great movie, right? It's hard to have as much fun as I did with Seven Psychopaths. It's not as fun of a film. Yeah, exactly, but it's not meant to be. And you're not supposed to have as much fun with it. And I get that. That's the point of it. So then, but then that kind of breaks my brain because mm. if that's not the point of it, it's done well. So I should <laughs> reward that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But the effort in to entertainment out is much, is much <laughs> closer than it is for seven psychopaths. I right? think, I think, I think watch it again and you double your score again because you'd see another. And that's the reason I love this film is because yeah, it's the gift I'm, that keeps on giving first watch. It's, it's fine. It's a good film. It's got some very funny. First watch, movies. I didn't enjoy it because I I wasn't fucking paying attention. Yeah, you are right. It is. A, it's a layered movie. Mm. I'm gonna get after my second watch and after like fucking getting into it as much as I did. Um, I think I cried like fucking seven or eight times. I don't know. I was yeah. texting you. We were yeah. keeping a running total running of how tab. many times I've, it made me. I've referenced weak. a few of them. I actually yeah. went into WhatsApp and just searched cry. Got about nine thousand yeah, nice, results, but you. I found the recent ones. <laughs> um. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just dated from just yeah, like yeah, yeah. past past four days. Yeah, exactly. Um, that was the nine thousand. I'm gonna rate it. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Fuck you. Uh, <laughs> I'm sensitive, man. It's winter. It's yeah. snowing. <laughs> let me be. <laughs> let it go. Let it go. Uh, I'm gonna rate it uh, an eight. Ooh, because I thoroughly enjoyed it. And I was very emotionally confused when I was weeping, <laughs> mm. but laughing at cunt punts, cunt punting children. It was it caught me very off guard, and it was an upsetting it's situation a, to be in. It's a punishingly funny movie. The bit with the bit where she goes into the bar and she's like, "What?" He's like, "I'm going to go home." She's like, "What's the matter, Dixon? You got to get home to your mummy." He's like, "No, I told her I was going to be out." <laughs> Actually, the oh my god, you got to get back home to mama. No. I told my mom, I, I told mama, I was going to be back at 12. <laughs> I told my mama, I, my mama, my mama. I love him so fucking much. It's unreal, man. It's unreal. I, it's rare that I get to an end. You know when you get to an end of a TV mm-hmm. series and you miss the characters? Yeah. Because you've had seasons to get to know mm-hmm. them and you feel like you know them like and you, you like relate to them in such a way where you're like, mm-hmm. fuck, what do I do now? I got that with Dixon. Yeah. The yeah. vaguely racist fucking idiot. Prisoner torturer idiot, like yeah. village idiot. And I'm like, fuck. He is I a village idiot. Him. Yeah, but now I miss him. Mm-hmm. And I've only had like one film to get to know him. 
It is. It's archetypal writing at its best. You've got the wise sheriff. You've got the grumpy witch who lives at the edge of town. You've got the village idiot who plays the jester. You've got the the local priest. You've got the sort of advertise. You've got the young naive advertising executive with his young girlfriend. It's a story of archetypes and like <sighs> versions of people who are at once incredibly realistic and down to earth, but also really broadly written so that you can find so much to relate to in them. Yeah, and, I uh, think I relate such... to characters in a different way that you will. Mm. Yeah, as will everyone as find anyone a watching way to it. Re- like, and yeah. I, and I think as a piece of writing, it's it sets up intentionally this sort of murder mystery, and then realizes very quickly that that none of that is going to lead to a resolution or or a change in these characters, because essentially you cannot change the past. You can yeah. only the only thing you can do with the past is learn from it or let it go. And so this film is an entire town of people having to either learn from or let go of the past. And the only tools they have in order to achieve that is each other and the tiny moments of kindness and understanding that they they provide one another on that way. Mildred spends the entire film caught up in the past. Dixon spends the entire film caught up in the past. And through the tiny little things that happen, a date with with a little person... Um, a letter from a from a dead friend. They write a, a straw in a drinking cup. Those tiny moments are the tiny moments that, when all is said and done, are all that you and our you know the story of our lives are only ever made of tiny moments. It's the consequences <laughs> of those tiny moments, and what those consequences lead to are two friends in a car driving into the future, not sure what they're going to do, but as Mildred says in her last line, "Let's figure it out on the way." And that's a beautiful moment to end this incredible film. It is a fat ten in every way for me. I, I, nice. It is so close to it's. It's not the best film ever made. I'm just saying, in in terms of films that that set out to do something, this yeah. set its goals incredibly high, nailed it, and there's not a single frame of this film for me that you could change. And make it better. It is a perfectly made film. I've never seen you about another film like this. I've never oh. seen you like this about another film. Well, maybe one. Magnolia. But we'll get to that when we cover Magnolia. <laughs> but this is like this is like up there for you, huh? This oh is yeah, like one, of the, one of the top brass this, movies. It goes, you know, there's Lady Vengeance is in the top five somewhere. This is in the top five somewhere. Um, uh, Empire Strikes Back is in the top five somewhere. It's it's. God, I couldn't Star rank it. Yeah. Eat shit and die from the original trilogy. Eat shit and die. Jedi. Jedi. It's you're wrong, little bear. Pe- we we can't get into this. Jedi. We love each and every one of you very dearly. We promise that we will be souped up, ready to go. This kind of pissed me off, man, because I'm all like hyped up and ready to go now. But it's after we've done the episode, and I think it's the episode that's got me here. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Covering this movie that is like a murder mystery that no yeah. one really cares about the murder. It's not no one cares about the murder mystery. It's like Cluedo, yeah. but instead of worrying about who committed the crime and where, it's worrying about Colonel Custer's cancer. It's Cluedo, where the things that matter are the people that are on the board with you there and now. Yeah, Colonel Custer's cancer. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and so I think 
fundamentally, we can't, you and I cannot change the fact that we were ready to go. We were jacked. We had the yeah. episode to go, and then unfair, unreasonable, unrelenting life kicked us in the cunt punted us. Oh. But what we can do. So you made the episode the same as the movie. Yes. Yo, that's quite smart. <laughs> I was now and didn't even pick up on that. No, because you're Dixon, and I'm Francis McDormand. That's rude. And at the end fair. of the day. I'm not racist. Fuck you. You were earlier in the episode. I made sure you were. And so, when was I racist? What did I say? Oh no, sexist, sorry. You're a sexist. I was gonna fucking say, don't be dropping that shit and then just carry on <laughs> like it's nothing. So you're a sexist dicks and other Francis McDormand. I didn't say, I wasn't we sexist. Started off, we started off. I gave in her a the bad, headline slot in a bad the place. festival. <laughs> exactly. You gave the yeah, woman but that's... The, You gave the woman the strongest fuck you, you bad sexist. No, I gave her the headline in slot. It's the headline it's the one that all the crowd are there to see. Okay. Yep. But we yeah. started it in a bad place and now we're just two friends. Traveling forward together with what we've got. I hate that you've backed me into this corner because it's your making and I've just gone along with it because you're like, I could lead this episode. And you've turned it out to be sort of like, Ben's a sexist. <laughs> so guys, we love and appreciate each and every one of you. Uh, we will catch you. We've got an interview coming out this week. Yeah, we do. The directors and writers of The Christmas Tapes, the film we reviewed two days ago. Rob and Randy, super fucking lovely guys. Great episode. We've become Great sort of like semi-permanent pen pals <laughs> ever since wait what's what's a semi-permanent pen like a felt tip no it's like disappearing ink but it just disappears really slowly right okay yeah yeah okay so i guess just ink yeah would be that yeah. One. yeah the interview's out on friday <laughs> we love and appreciate all of you consume bye bye